The Free for All Roundtable. Round one. On round one, Mark Warner is here, international trade lawyer. Tim Hudak, former leader of the Ontario Conservatives, now at the Ontario Real Estate Association. Laura Babcock from Power Group Communications and host of The O Show. I wanted to ask you folks, I don't know if you were listening to the interview, but I don't think we need to do a deep dive in research to have an opinion on this. I was talking to an NDP MPP who's sponsoring legislation that would crack down on very, very graphic flyers that are often delivered to people's homes. And what she wants to do is, let's say you've got an anti-abortion postcard, you'd have to put it inside an envelope and then label the envelope, caution, contents may be disturbing. Mark Warner, you're the lawyer on the panel. Do you think that would pass a charter challenge? Oh, wow. I never thought of that, to be honest with you. You, um, I I, I don't know. The way I look at it, John, is that the, the kind of judges that we have now, that almost anything could, you know, be found to be violate the charter at the first level. And when it gets all the way up to the Supreme Court, you get a little bit more reasoned analysis. So, but, you know, could you find a judge? I could probably think of any number of judges who would be happy to make a name for themselves finding a charter viol- violation with that. And, and that's generally how, how it works nowadays to me. But that's my, my initial reaction sure. to it. It would be um, no, that, it, that, it, that, it's, that it would be tough to do. Okay, Laura Babcock, the point I was making in the conversation with the MPP was that effectively she'd be compelling a nonprofit and as unpalatable a nonprofit as it might be to double their PR budget because they'd have to go out and get the envelopes. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm one of those people who thinks that that stuff coming through people's doors is something that we need to have a conversation about on the street corner when they have the signs. My daughter saw it as we were driving downtown one day, and it did prompt a discussion, but it also made her even more fierce about protecting her rights as a woman. Uh, she was offended that they thought they could just stand there and, and on the street corner and do that, so I think it backfired on them. In terms of adding cost to the envelopes, I mean, there's ways in marketing, right, to cut costs, and, and I don't see it as a cost issue so much as it is saying to organizations, if you're going to stick something through someone's door, it's kind of invasive, right? Uh, They're not purchasing the material. They don't have any option to select the material. You're sticking it in their door. And in the case of someone who has PTSD or someone who's very young, I think that's, you know, I don't want to use the word offensive because they're trying to, they're trying to offend the senses, uh, but it's something that's invasive. And so I say, try this, uh, maybe raise some awareness around the issue, and maybe these charities will think twice about who they're really targeting with this promotion. And Tim Hudak, last word on this one. I mean, the thing is, they use these graphic images precisely because they are triggering. No, no doubt about it. Look, I, first, I... I um uh, I commend uh, Jenny Stevens. Uh, I know her quite well from St. Catharines, and Terence Kernahan's the co-sponsor of the bill. He's done some really good job on consumer protection and housing issues out of London, Ontario. One of my favorite times the legislature was private members' business because individuals bring forward bills. They're debated, and it's not nearly as partisan. John, you can cross party lines, support initiatives, and it's a way new ideas come about. So I, I, I commend them for bringing something new to the table that I, quite frankly, had not heard of before. I think ultimately, if I was there in the House, I would probably vote against this. I think there are better ways... You know, Laura mentioned some, you know, who would you really want to devote government resources to policing this as opposed to other priorities? But all the same, I mean, good for them bringing forward a new idea to the table and stirring this kind of debate. So it looks like there may not be anything for Toronto in tomorrow's budget. And we've been counting on there being money. Tim, I'll start with you on this one. You're the economist. Uh, Toronto has been counting on money to fill in the gap from the COVID overexpenditures, but also Toronto can't pay its own bills. So if that money doesn't come in, we're kind of screwed. 
Well, I wouldn't give up. I mean, a, a couple of dynamics uh, at uh, at play here. First, the um, you really have to, I think, after a, a couple of rounds of bailouts, to have a concerted campaign with both the province and the federal government to crack through. And that is, uh, John Tory was exemplary at that. I, I'm trying to think of another more talented leader that got money both from Ottawa and from the province on, on a regular basis. When you're deputy mayor, no matter what your talent, that's pretty hard to do. So I think this is going to be the pocket of the next mayor announced later. You also do need a coalition uh, of other municipalities that will have needs. Not as great as Toronto's. They don't have subways. They won't have the social services demands, you know, through the pandemic, but they will have their own causes. You need to broaden it. I suspect what's happening behind the scenes are some preliminary discussions that have taken place, but until you have sort of the momentum of a, of a new mayor who can join up with colleagues across the province, it won't be successful. Mark Warner, a lot of people complain that we keep going cap in hand every time, no matter how good John Tory was at it. They sort of think, you guys have got to learn to do this yourselves. Well, John Tory was good at squeezing money out of um, other levels of government. He just wasn't very good at containing <laughs> expenditures. Uh, and, and that's the problem. And, uh, and that's always the problem with the Toronto budget is there's there's always any exercise in budgeting, as Tim knows from his time in government, is an exercise in, in must-haves and nice-to-haves. And the city council in Toronto is always in the business of nice-to-haves and then asking someone else to pay for the nice-to-haves. And uh, other levels of government don't want to pay for it. And that's understandable. So, you know, I don't know. I never really thought the strong mayor solution was the answer to that problem. But there is a problem between the expectations of a council that likes to spend on things that, quite frankly, are not always necessary or not always priorities and then asking someone else to pay for it. Okay, listen, I want to jump to a few other topics because we've got a full menu today. There is a report that was uh, done on CTV about a Muslim man. He went into a corner of the Ottawa train station for his Muslim prayers, and then when he came back to where he had been sitting, there was a guard who said, don't pray in the station. Um, Laura Babcock, he says it's nothing short of Islamophobia. I think we have to bear in mind this is a hired security guard who probably just decided to freelance, but it's an unfortunate encounter. Yeah, it is unfortunate, of course, the, for the person to say that to him. But also then, according to the story, other Via Rail employees came up and said, oh, you know, don't uh, don't take it badly from the security guard. We deal with a lot of homeless people in here, to which the the is the man, the Muslim man was like, so now now you're thinking that I'm homeless when I'm praying? I mean, what is going on here? So it was an incident where clearly VIA needs to do a better job to help its employees who represent the station, but also this man's impression of Ottawa and Islamophobia to be able to recognize uh, religious uh, activity and to be able to treat people with the kind of respect that they say they stand for, right? I mean, it's one thing to say that, oh, no, we welcome and support all religions and religious practices, et cetera, et cetera. But then you have not one, but two employees make this individual who was quietly praying in a corner uh, feel as though they're being humiliated and shunned. And so VRL uh, has got to do better than a simple apology. Maybe it should do some awareness and training with its team so they can recognize what a prayer looks like. Yeah, Tim Hudak, I I think that this represents a wider issue, which is that people are uncomfortable sometimes around public displays of religiosity, but in particular, they think displays of Islam are somehow a threat. 
That, that may be true, and it may have triggered that in this individual security guard. I don't know if I, I'd say it's widespread. I, I think it, it used to be, but, uh, you know, I think you take 9 out of 10 security guards, uh, even more, I believe, would have made this this mistake. He was not in a supervisory capacity. He's not a senior manager. Uh, I bet he's feeling terribly embarrassed and regrets uh, what he did and the lack of judgment in this case. Will there be more education? I, I suspect major transit systems will do that as a result. Is it surprising this happened in our, you know, our capital on a federal government uh, site it, it is but ultimately john i think this is just a bad judgment call by the individual who's pretty much ashamed of uh, his call i don't see this as a major issue um mark this is i don't want to frame everything that you have to reply in a legal framework but i'm curious about another story this morning we sent around a feature to all of you uh and this is how they polled a group of lawyers not a lot 12 in canada who do, deal in family law and they said it has come up on many occasions and that is women who claim that they were beaten by their partner to the point where they suffered some form of brain injury they argue that in order to perhaps get a better divorce settlement but then the husband can come back and at them and say, well, if you're brain injured, you can't look after kids, so I get the kids. Wow, that's why I, I always say I never did people law. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't like issues like that. Um, I have no knowledge of that, John. I mean, it's possible. I mean, there, there's all, you got to keep in mind the thing about any sort of legal argument is, is any argument that you make also has a potential drawback. Like any defense that you, you assert can come back and hurt you in another context. And sometimes in the thrill of the moment, when people are trying to make a, a legal argument or assert a particular claim or get an advantage, they say things in the moment that, or they ask their lawyers to say things in, a, in, in the moment that come back and haunt them after the fact. And so um, law is a, you know, when you get entangled with the legal system, it's, it's a complicated thing. And um, that's why people like me, the first thing I always do is counsel my clients, stay out of courts. <laughs> you don't want to go to court. You want to settle things. <laughs> get everything. Laura Babcock, it, it's beyond moxie. It's uh, devastating to consider uh, that a man could injure a woman and then use that injury to his advantage. Oh, it's freaking horrendous. I mean, I, I when I saw the story this morning, I thought I hadn't, I knew, of course, intimate partner violence and that there could be injury resulting from it. But then to use that injury to say, hey, you know what? I beat you. I hurt you significantly. And so I get the kids because you can't take care of them. I mean, what a vicious, horrible thing for someone to try to do. So how about this? How about, uh, of course, they have the brain experts in there that can really look at the trauma and, and look at the trajectory of the injury and look at how to make sure that the woman can recover as well as possible. And then how about the partner who did the violence, the injury, has to pay additional costs to support the therapy of the woman so that she can continue to safely raise her children. I mean, how about we not use it as an advantage that you beat someone's brains in and then you say that they can't take care of their own children and we make the person, the violent partner, actually have to pay for part of that therapy or have some other kind of punishment for it. I mean, this makes me sick, John. Uh, Tim, I want to appeal to your expertise as an economist, and we always have to be careful how we talk talk about the banking system. I think there are a lot of people out there trying to scare people about the banking system, and yet the two banks in the states that have collapsed, collapsed because they were badly run. Credit Suisse has been in trouble for ages and is not crashing. It's just been bought out. And the Canadian banking system is a fairly robust affair. I would describe uh, Canada's banking system as among the most small C, you know, conservative. Uh, we have the, the major six uh, banks, a very few other banks that uh, that function. 
with a high degree of regulation and safeguard. That means there's limited choice. It can be more expensive. You may not get the same returns as you would elsewhere, but it protects us just like in 2008, 2009 when the Americans went deeply under from the financial crisis, didn't hit Canada with the same level of, uh, of impact. So I, I, I'm not concerned about this here. There's that old expression from Warren Buffett, when the tide goes out, you see who was swimming naked. These particular banks were, were high risk for making wrong decisions. When interest rates went up, that meant their bond holdings were less valuable. They were vulnerable because they were not making good decisions. I'm confident that our system protects us from this. Okay, I'm going to have to call it there. In there John? Yeah, sure, go um, ahead, quickly though. Just quickly, I'll just point people to an article in the Financial Post last week uh, where people talked about the extent to which they, uh, where the Silicon Valley Bank was operating in Canada to get um, money to startups in Canada because our banking system that we love to say, when, when we see things like this happen, we say, oh my God, you know, our bank system is so great. But of course, the, the startups in Canada thought our banking system is horrible. And that's something to keep in mind when we think about this. They can't get it in Canada from, from our conservative bankers. And the other thing I want to say really quickly is our Canadian banks, Toronto Dominion and Bank of Montreal, are buying regional banks in the United States. And those are the regional banks that are going to be under the fire. And that's how it might potentially feed back into Canada. So don't, uh, don't cry with just that. All right. Uh, well, that's what I'm not doing. Uh, thank you, Mark Warner, Laura Babcock, and Tim Hudak. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.